This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Jason, what is going on? Not a lot. You know, it's the uh, it's the off season and uh, we're, we're keeping it relaxed and casual here at Over and Back, not uh, getting into, uh, you know. <laughs> My feet are you know. up on the desk. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, nice. very, the, the, the overall, you know, nothing is sure. more casual than the feet on the desk. I mean, that Absolutely is how you officially, it's, it's very uncomfortable to podcast in, but you know. Right. I would think cash, the, you know. It's, it's really, I'm actually, it's, I'm getting kind of a core workout doing it. So that's good, I guess. Oh, I mean, that's you know, good. Staying in, yeah. shape, staying in shape in the off season. So. Yeah. That doesn't sound relaxed, but, you know, but maybe, <laughs> you know, you're, you're trying for your NBA tryout, you know, pretty soon. Maybe you're uh, you know, the tryout. You know? The Windy City Bulls are doing a tryout. Uh, and yeah. I'm, I'm considering it. I know the NBA is definitely, uh, it's missing some 5'10 unathletic white guys. And I, and I think I might be able to, to fill that that niche for them. So yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, if it were seventies, you would be stuck on like the Knicks bench, like you'd be like the thirteenth man for the Knicks. But, right, yeah, or know. like the nineteen eighty, you know, seven Boston Celtics. I would probably still right. be able to find a spot. <laughs> there you but, go. That's you know, true. pretty much any other yeah. point uh, post nineteen fifty. Yeah, it's tough to find a spot for uh, a guy like me. But it's a great, you know, interest story. I'm from the area. You know, it'd be perfect. And, you know, it only takes about twenty minutes to, to drive to the stadium. I don't know about the road games. That's gonna be kind of tricky. But I'll, I'll do yeah. the home games for sure. But sure. Yeah, it'd be good for the podcast. So oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. My my adventures yeah. in the G League, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have to change focus the show, but that's okay. We can figure that out. I'll yeah. I'll let you know how the trout goes. Um, all right, all right. I'm you hopeful, but yeah, if you don't hear from me, that I'm obviously a megastar <laughs> in the G League. So uh, obviously, yes, I, I will uh, <laughs> make note of that for sure. So yeah, so we are. Um, going to talk about uh, some of the last great games for some of the all-time great players of all time. Uh, this was uh, we 
talked to uh, Ben Taylor on the last episode uh, about uh, the gr- last great game for Larry Bird in 1992 against Portland Trailblazers, 49 points, uh, triple-double in double overtime, one of the great games in NBA history. So we thought, hey, you know, it would be great to delve a little bit into some of the other greats of all time here. So we uh, decided to dive into the uh, players from uh, our top 50 list. Uh, new listeners may not know about it, but a few years ago uh, when we first were doing the show, I think the first summer off-season project, we... Uh, Picked a top 50 NBA players of all time, interviewed a bunch of other people, got their input, you know, did a bunch of uh, looked at stats, looked at, you know, uh, history, just kind of dove in, you know, kind of try to figure it out as best as we could. Came up with a list. So we're going to, for lack of a better uh, way to do it, we're just going to randomly pick some guys from uh, that list. Uh, not going to include Larry Bird because obviously we covered him in our last show. We're not going to count active guys. So LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, and Pau Gasol all could potentially still have great games in them. So we'll save them for when they retire or whatever. So, yeah, no, it was uh, yeah, it's a really great project. I know it was one of the kind of one of the things that really put us on the map. I would say in in, in general is because there's a lot of people that still bring that up all the time. And I always wonder when I look back at that, that was a lot of work. Like, I don't know how we did that, like you know, scheduling with all these different people. Like it's hard enough for you and I to find you know like an hour a week to do this. And, I, and we were scheduling people left and right, doing like four shows a night. Like we were really working our ass off in that top fifty. But that, that was really good. I really do enjoy that uh, series, and I think that is an incredible thing. If you have never listened to that, uh, uh, us doing our top fifty, whether you agree or disagree with you know our new top 50 or whatever uh it is unequivocally the undisputed top 50 so that is the one you must now f- all f- always follow uh, yeah so, absolutely yeah because right. we are nothing if not the arbiters of of truth here but uh no yeah it, it's a pretty fun project and and yeah as far as the larry bird um you know the last episode with ben taylor was awesome if you guys have not listened to that if, if you kind of go oh, hey i don't i'm not really too interested I think that's one of I I absolutely love that episode. You know, obviously I wasn't on it, but so it made it a little bit you know more fun to listen because I didn't know what was being said or whatnot. But no, it was a really good episode. I thought Ben was a great guest, and I can't wait to have him on again. And, and that game too, if you've never watched that game, I think uh, most of it's on YouTube, right? All of it, or I think all of it is on YouTube. Is that correct? Yeah, I think all of it's on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have to watch that game. Like I don't know. I, I know I've seen highlights in that game, but I don't know if I ever watched the entire game. It ebbs and it's almost one of those ones that you're better off watching the entire game because it really makes yeah. what happens in the overtimes that much more important because there is just back and forth left right left punch right punch like awesome stuff like that that's just incredible just this back and forth and and the intro video too i know you talked to, uh, about it a little bit with ben as well i mean they just like add so much weight to this you know the portland trailblazers are chokers and larry bird's toast and the celtics are old and it's like oh my god like and this is just like you know a game like <laughs> just like the, the but the stakes that are put on the line in that opening video are like this is life or death you would think that this is game seven of the nba finals the way that everyone sort of selling it and it's really awesome uh, how yeah. it all comes together so yeah you gotta watch the intro and the entire game it's just a an awesome collection of, uh, of talent of teams and all that stuff it's a really really great game and, and a great episode as well yeah and if you really can't watch the whole game start like late in the third quarter when cliff robinson gets thrown out and go from there and that's, <laughs> that's a good yeah. our that's good, good friend cliff robinson so, our, good our very good robinson. friend <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Our, our best friend perhaps <laughs> best friend of the show so yes so um we're gonna just go through about 10 guys here we're gonna, I think, intermittently do this over uh, the next uh, few months. Uh, knock them all out, but probably not all in a row because I think that get a little repetitive. So we're just gonna turn on this when we don't have any other ideas to do, I guess, for uh, lack of a better way to describe it. So uh, first, we'll delve into uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, and I should say, going ahead of time, I, there was not 
totally hard and fast criteria about like what necessitated a great game versus a very good game or you know I, I tried to pick something that was you know fairly close to the end of their career um so some of the games are not necessarily going to be you know like like you know obviously greatest games of their career type level that Larry Birds was um so I tried you know I, there wasn't like a it was a little bit challenging to because you want to get something that's like not obviously like five years before they retired, but you you know you also want to get something that where they were still you know pretty good or pretty effective. So um, just to you know if if you if we get any questions about why'd you pick this game over this game, it's just because we did so. <laughs> we did just deal with it. Yeah that's, yeah <laughs> yeah no real hard and fast criteria. I mean that that's no fun if we had like obvious like it's got to be over twenty game score or whatever. Just a game that we saw towards the end of the career that was pretty good. So that's yeah. it. And, and I, I filtered you know I I, I kind of filtered. Through through game score numbers are like around 25 or more and try to get to the end of the career. So there's, there's some of that going on, but for the most part, yeah, it's just kind of like something that stood out, something that made sense. Obviously I, I think it context matters a little bit and, and Kareem's uh, are a, a very good example of that. The ones that we chose. So I, I actually went with two for him. Uh, he was the only one where I, or I kind of threw two in there. The, what I would say would be the last good game of his career. And, and given the context, it's it's a pretty excellent game. It was uh, game three of the NBA Finals against the Pistons. Uh, this was, uh, of course, to the, the very end of his career. The Pistons swept the Lakers in, uh, and obviously in four games when that happened. This is game three, and the Lakers are, you know, they're pretty desperate here because Magic Johnson uh, is, I think he plays a very small amount of this game, but basically yeah, out five for minutes. the series. Yeah, he plays five yeah. minutes. It takes right. two field goals, misses them both, and that's all you get from, from yeah. Magic in this entire game. Byron Scott suffers a, a knee injury before the series and a really rough uh, uh, Pat Riley practices and is out for the series. So the Lakers are shorthanded, so one last time, they turn to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and for the second to last game of his career, he's 42 years, 56 days old, uh, 24 points on 58 true shooting percentage, 13 rebounds, a 19.8 game score, and the Lakers lose, but only lose by two, 95 to 93. So he he, he gets them about as close as you could have expected him to take them at that point. So. You know, it, it, it's obviously not one of the great games of all time in his career, but I think given the context, it was a pretty, you know, it, it's a pretty impressive performance. Yeah, and absolutely. If you take, you know, Magic off that Lakers team, it's still obviously a very talented team. You still have Kareem, you still have AC Green, you have James Worthy, Michael Cooper, but it just loses a lot without Magic Johnson. You know what I mean? Like, then essentially Tony Campbell and Michael Thompson split the minutes. Orlando Woolridge comes in a little bit and and, and kind of helps out from there. But I mean, like, yeah, that's a huge drop off from, from Magic Johnson to Tony Campbell. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> a little bit. Magic yeah, Johnson and Michael maybe. Thompson. Like, great, yeah. good players, you know good contributors they have decent games here but it's a big drop-off you get five minutes of magic this team is is, is already you know in 1989 the Lakers are starting to kind of feel it a little bit it wouldn't be until a few more years until we'd really see them fall off a cliff but there was the idea that, okay they're starting to get a little bit old here but you know you're not going to break up this core it's a solid core things are going well but you take magic off of this core that's already sort of showing some signs of cracking and yeah it's just it, it's full-on crack so for him to get as close as he did with Kareem having you know that good of a game and and James Worthy too had 26 points so a good game by James Worthy um, as well but yeah Kareem really kind of stands out here with the 13 rebounds 24 points but uh, yeah unfortunately they can't can't make it so they can't win the game but they're really really close here and the Pistons are a loaded team right now and on, on fire and you know emerging you know as the Lakers are sort of falling a little bit the the Pistons are sort of emerging a little bit as, as we're seeing that sort of uh, changeover 
Yeah, right. And obviously, it was a game. It was a seven-game series. The Lakers won eighty-eight. So this is the rematch from that. The Pistons get their revenge in the series and are able to, you know, win back-to-back championships and you know put their mark in NBA history. But it was, um, you know, it was funny because the Lakers actually were really dominant in those eighty-nine playoffs, and it looked like, oh, you know, maybe they'll, you know, it, 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 it this was not, you know, this. Looking back on it, obviously, if it's a sweep, it's a one-sided series. But going into it, it seemed like it could be very close and very competitive. It was very much like you know, um, up in the air who would have won. It was a, you know a pretty big surprise at the time that it ended up being as one-sided as it was. And you know, the, the games were actually fairly close. Most of them were, um, you know, the game two was a three-point win by the uh, Pistons. Game four was a four-point win. So you know, they were both um, you know relatively uh, close. And the other, other games were fairly close as well. So it wasn't like it was some huge like you know dominant thing overall. It was obviously yeah. I, I'm not trying to make excuse for the Lakers here or anything. I don't think they really need me to make excuses for them. They were pretty <laughs> right, <no>, accomplished, <laughs> but yeah. So, and I'm not trying to demean from the bad boys because they were awesome in this series. You know, Joe, Joe Dumars was really impressive. You know, Isaiah was really impressive. Um, the uh, uh, the bigs, not so much in this game. Uh, Lambier only had 10 points, uh, six assists, um, and none of the other bigs really did a lot of scoring. It was pretty much uh, Dumars with 31 points and Isaiah with 26 points, you know, kind of leading the way here. Yeah, but it's a fun, uh, fun playoff run, as you mentioned, for the Lakers. When you say dominant, I mean, they didn't lose until they made it to the finals, and then they got swept and they didn't win. So it's, it's really weird to see them cruise through the, the Trailblazers, who we know are, are you know, becoming a super competitive team, the Supersonics, who are slowly kind of building some, uh, some stuff up there a little bit, and then the Phoenix Suns, who, uh, you know, in, in some ways, maybe a little bit of a surprise to be in the Western Conference Finals this year, but still, you know, sort of uh, a very talented team. But the Lakers just blow through all of those guys uh, without a single loss and then come here to the finals and then, you know, don't win a single game. So it's definitely a weird, uh, unique series in that sense, and and I guess similar in a sense to what we saw with the Cavaliers. Um, what was it two years ago, where they swept through the Eastern Conference, and then you know they won one game uh, in the finals against the the the, the Warriors, but uh, yeah, didn't uh, didn't quite get weren't, you know weren't quite able to, to you know dominate all the way. Hmm. So this uh, leads us to the last great game of um, of Kareem's uh, career. And this is uh, Game 6 of the uh, 1987 NBA Finals against Boston. So almost exactly two years before the uh, first game we talked about. So he's 40 years old, obviously. Um, and it's uh, it's the deciding game of that series. Um, and uh, Kareem has 32 points on 71 true shooting, 6 rebounds, 4 blocks, and a 27.1 uh, uh, game score. Again, you know, given the context, given the fact that it sealed uh, that series... Um, I, I think that's a really uh, impressive performance, and, and one that's not really, you know, talked about. I mean, obviously his performance in '85, you know, to to finally beat Boston when the MVP that series were big, and you know, obviously Magic hit uh, the the clutch shot in uh, earlier in this series to, you know, that was one of the big deciding factors. I believe it was, that was Game Four. Um, you know, obviously that uh, that's talked about a lot, and that's big. But you know, this was, uh, you know, he was really the star of this game. Um, you know, and was able to, uh, you know, seal this win. They probably would have won the series anyway, but he definitely, you know, he 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 put it forth one more time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you look at, you know, Magic didn't have a great scoring game. I mean, he still had 16 points, but he was on 7 of 21 shooting, so he definitely yeah. uh, struggled from the field. He did have 19 assists, so not bad. Sure, uh, job not bad. Eight, eight rebounds, too, yeah. Yeah, but, so, yeah. I mean, a, a good Magic game, but I think a lot of those sure. assists probably are going to Kareem, who in 29 minutes, too, I think that's the most remarkable thing, plays 29 minutes and scores 32 points. I mean, that is doing it efficiently uh, right there, and that that definitely speaks uh, volumes about how great this game was for Kareem. And like you said, yeah, you know, the moment, too, it definitely enhances it, it being a game six, it being a pretty important important game and an important series for that franchise that also plays uh, obviously a huge role in it I do know you know outside of it being a good Korean game I, I think I know why you picked this one 
And it is because in 41 minutes, somebody was one of nine shooting for two points, and his name is Danny Ainge, your favorite player in the world. So I know it wasn't it wasn't as much Kareem's great game as it was Danny Ainge's worst game, which is what makes you obviously very happy. <laughs> you know, I think if I tried really, really hard, and it might be worth the effort to try this because it, you know, it, it's that it, it's that worthwhile. I think maybe that I could find a worse Danny Ainge game, but uh, you know, this is definitely it's this is him uh, choking it's, in a big it's moment. A, it's like a, it's yeah, like a, yeah. a trade deadline, you know, <laughs> you know, and Danny Danny's prone to choking at trade deadlines. Like this is a pretty good one as well to, to uh, yeah. uh, a lot of those shots of the eight shots he missed a lot of them were about to go in they just didn't quite go yeah, exactly in. So they just rolled around the rim <laughs> and that just fell out like it, you know stuff happens in. you can't control that you know you can't control how the ball is going to roll but you know so many of them were about to go in and they just didn't so yeah so close <laughs> so close yeah um also i noteworthy here um he, he, looking at some of the games that he had uh down the stretch in 86 and he had a bunch of really uh awesome games uh there, including its Dallas in the playoffs, and a, a couple in March against uh, Houston, where he had uh, 46 points and 11 rebounds, and uh, 43 points, uh, seven rebounds, and um, it's so it was interesting that of course that was just a few weeks before. Um, Houston upset the Lakers in the playoffs, and there was a lot of talk about you know Akeem and. Um, Samson exposing uh, Kareem is old, but but you know just a few weeks before he was you know absolutely dominating them in uh, both those games, and and Samson and Hakeem both played in those games, so I thought that that was kind of interesting. Yeah, no, definitely some some uh, good stuff. Yeah, to have it that much domination against two you know the dominant big men, and especially Hakeem, who at that time was a great defender um, as well, definitely speaks volumes. I mean, 46, 43. I mean, he's, he's really just railing off some really good score, uh, you know, really good you know scoring totals there. So yeah, Kareem uh, had had a few more years in him, and even till the until the final moments, really, it was like he's a guy that probably could have even went on a few more years after that, but it was probably best that he just went on, so he didn't get like truly put because I don't think he ever got like horrible. You know what I mean? Like he never got really bad where it was like. Oh dear! It was just kind of like okay, he's he's definitely not Kareem anymore. It's probably time for him to go. But yeah, it would have been interesting yeah. to see if he had like hung on for like two more years and just you know got real bad. But I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad he went out. Yeah. On, on you know not a bad note. I mean, it was obvious he was old, but you know still still okay. Like he was still able yeah. to kind of deliver in, in in some spots. Right. I mean, that last year was was rough compared to the rest of his career. Sure. But, oh yeah. But, but I mean, when the rest yeah. of your career is like you know yeah. arguably one of the greatest of all time, yeah, it does look a little it, it shines a little bit of a light on it. So right. Exactly. So. Uh, so next, not too hard to pin down his last great game. It's uh, Kobe Bryant. It was his final uh, game, uh, uh, April thirteenth, twenty sixteen. He was thirty seven years, two hundred thirty four days old, and he had sixty points on fifty four true shooting, <laughs> twenty two out of fifty from the field, six out of twenty one from three, four rebounds, four assists, only two turnovers, and a thirty six point three game score. Um, this is only one of 17 games in Basketball References database with 50-plus uh, uh, field goal attempts. I believe the last one was sometime in the uh, mid-60s. Uh, I believe it was Rick Barry, actually. So, um, so yeah, the, it was uh, it was a remarkable performance. I, so the funny thing about this is that this occurred right around the time each of us were getting married. Not to each other, but to other people. Um, but we both happened to get married around the same time. Mm-hmm. I got married on the on the 4th. I know you got married, I believe, the weekend afterward, correct? Right, I got married on the 16th. And that's where you know, oh, this okay. game, I remember it exactly because we had rented a beach house for, for our wedding. We got married on a beach. It was just kind of a small thing with my friends and, and my really, really close family. And I remember watching this game so vividly because we were, we had rented out rented this giant beach house. It was basically like a real-world house. It was just huge. It had like nine rooms and giant TVs and fireplaces places everywhere and stuff and what was the best is that day that this game was on was when all of my friends came 
into town. We were in Charleston, South Carolina or whatever, and it was awesome to just sit on this giant couch in front of this giant TV in this fireplace in this mansion and watch this. And we were going nuts, and it was awesome to flip back and forth. And we had one TV show in the Kobe game and then the one, you know, switching to the, Matt, the Warriors game. And it was just incredible to see the different stuff going on. But, yeah, it was like one of those weird moments where you're watching both of these things and, and all this is sort of happening as I'm, you know, two days away from getting married or whatever, three days away from getting married. And then, you know, uh, you know all my friends kind of there. So I, I always remember this game and just the, the you know, the thing that I loved most about this game. And it's like it was exactly how I wanted Kobe Bryant to go. Like, I'm not the world's biggest Kobe Bryant fan, but like this was the greatest way for Kobe Bryant to go. Just an unabashed Chuck fest that like didn't make any sense because it was like it, I felt like Krusty the Clown, you know, watching the Harlem Globetrotters and, and, and the generals being like he's spinning on his fingers. Just take it. It's like Kobe's <laughs> just pulling up and it's like just guard him like what are they doing like the jazz are just sitting there like oh man and like kobe had no legs at that point he wasn't able to do anything he wasn't able to move but he was just scoring he was just shooting and scoring i'm just like just throw a double team on him he's probably just gonna put it up anyway like he's not interested in passing to d'angelo russell just guard him or something but it was just perplexing and it just as he kept racking it up and as it became so like so blatant that that's all he was going for is just chucking it then it became awesome and then i almost for like maybe a half hour or so became like a Kobe Bryant fan. And I was just like, you know, I hope he gets 70. I hope he gets eight. I don't care what it takes. And obviously the 60 was still incredible, but yeah, it, uh, it was always a moment that I'll remember uh, just watching with my friends and obviously the Warriors go and they win their 73rd game. We're all from Chicago. So I had a few friends that were very upset about the uh, Warriors winning their 73rd, but I being, you know, the contrarian was like, nah, I like that they did it or whatever, but you know, sure. The, sure. the, the Arden Bulls fan, were not too happy about uh, the, the 72 and 10 being broken. So, well, they got to be happy in the finals. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, they they still yeah. they they were very much on the Facebook. The it don't mean a thing without the ring uh, posts uh, sure. immediately after the finals. So don't worry. Yeah, yeah. there you go. I'm, I'm I I will not worry. I was worried for a moment, but I will not not worry about that. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. So uh, the uh, my great story about this is I went to bed early, missed it all. But oh I, come on. I, well, I was right after the you know honeymoon. We just gotten back from New Orleans. You know, uh, I had to work really early in the morning, and I'm just like you know uh, I'll just I'll catch the highlights the next day. And I did, and I woke up and saw like a notification on my phone that Kobe Bryant had scored 60 points, uh, or maybe I saw a tweet in reference to it, and I was I. I thought like it was a joke at first, you know, and I actually like checked <laughs> right. the. I actually checked it, and I saw what had happened, and I'm like, oh my god, I wish I had stayed up for this. But uh, obviously, I watched the highlights soon after, and and I, I've seen most of the game. I don't think I've seen the, the entirety of the game, but I've seen, you know, I obviously uh, saw the incredible atmosphere. And I, when I was in New Orleans, uh, so on the eighth was his fourth last game, and I actually went to that game. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's, that's awesome. So uh, yeah, so I got to see his fourth last game. Not quite as impressive. Four or fifteen, uh, fourteen <laughs> points. Um, you know, but uh, it was an enjoyable game. I, I enjoyed. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of got into the uh, I, I I don't know I, I cosplayed as a Kobe Bryant fan for lack of a better term. Yeah, I, like, yeah, I did. I, I stand him on and, as the kids yeah. say for Kobe Bryant on one night and one night sure. only, and then I immediately yeah. you know <laughs> and I wavered. It was tough because as he was just chucking, I was like, oh come on, and then I was like, well no, of course, like it's his last yeah. game. He's against the Jazz. The Lakers suck. Right. Like of course, just chuck. Right. Who cares? Like don't pass yeah. to no, Robert Sacrey. Like no, of course, just throw it up. Like dude, right. Yeah, I mean that was the worst season in Lakers history. They won like seventeen <laughs> right, games, right. and you know, yeah. So it, that that was what it was building toward. It, and he actually had more good games kind of down that stretch, you know, that I remembered. They were you know they were few and far between. But his third last game, he had thirty five points and was pretty efficient. Uh, you know, he, he hit a couple other thirty plus point games, you know, going on there. So uh, I, I he really started off like horribly early on in that season, but kind of you know through. 
like around Christmas or so, he kind of picked it up, and um, especially late January, and you know, he was mostly consistently, you know, pretty good for the most part. He had some duds there, but he, you know, he played like sixty-two games in that season or something. You know, he was coming off all those injuries, and um, you know, and. Uh, he's coming off all those injuries and just um you know the, the the fact that he could like play it and be healthy and could you know even like make it to the season is kind of an accomplishment in and of itself so yeah this uh, is a disgusting lakers team i'm gonna close out of this uh, window <laughs> right now this i forget about the roy hibbert Tariq black era of lakers <laughs> history so yeah that's just gonna click out of that and never remember that again so all right good <laughs> Yeah, I can understand why you would do that, Rich. I, you know, we, maybe we'll move on. Maybe we don't want to talk about it anymore. I, I, uh, I, I don't want to do anything to hurt you, obviously. So next we have uh, Kevin Garnett and um, had to go kind of far back for his uh, last great game. Might be a little controversial, but but I will uh, stick with that. Um, it was um, it was game six of the uh, 2012 first round of the Celtics. Uh, beating the Hawks 83 to 80 to clinch the first round series. Uh, Garnett had 28 points on 60 true shooting, 14 rebounds, three steals, uh, five blocks, uh, was plus nine, and had the game winning jumper. So all around uh, huge contributions there. And um, and this came after uh, the Hawks owner um, Michael Garnett had made some comments about the Celtics being old and being dirty and fouling and all that. And uh, uh, Garnett's quote and response was, my only advice to him is next time he opens his mouth, actually nobody's talking about X's and O's versus checkbooks and bottom lines. So nice. KJ I love it. There. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty great, yeah. That's, uh, it, it feels like you're going back kind of far, but it it the Garnett thing was, it kind of fell off a click pretty quick because I don't know that there's really any game in Brooklyn that I would really, I mean, there, there's a few decent games in Brooklyn, but that just feels weird. You know what I mean? To pick one of those Brooklyn games. And then obviously there's the return to Minnesota, and I don't think he really had any, like, real solid games uh during that time either so yeah it seems weird that it's all the way back in 2012 even though he just retired you know obviously uh just a couple years ago but yeah there's really the, the garnett thing unfortunately fell off a pretty big cliff uh you know once he left the celtics so i have no problem with that choice and i think that is one especially you know you know as good as it was you know 28 points and it felt like a classic garnett game in a lot of ways where uh during this time and then the subsequent years it felt like it was very hard to get classic garnett out of him yeah, and you know he. There were probably games in there where the box score didn't look good, but you know because he was just so smart and and good and a great defender. There were a lot of things he was doing. So he probably had good games that the stats were sure. capturing. But obviously, we're not going to be delving into the uh, the video study that deeply to, to find these. So I I, I think uh, I think our choice, given our criteria, was uh, solid here. Yeah, definitely. So next we have uh, Allen Iverson, uh, and I can't believe it was. Uh, it's been 2010 since he played. That just seems like uh, that seems pretty crazy. Uh, that it's been so long since he uh, since he retired. But um, it, the last uh, last great game was from uh, December 19, 2008, when he was a member of the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, that, I, I was like, oh, Jason, you got an error here. You put Jazz and Pistons for Allen Iverson. It's like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. Right, right, right. It's the yes. Pistons era, Allen Iverson. Not as not quite as good as Grizzlies era, Allen Iverson, but pretty close. Pretty, yeah. pretty close. Yeah, there you go. So hey, he lived in the playoffs, you know. So um, <laughs> so we'll give him that. Um, yes. So the the Jazz won this game one twenty to one fourteen. It went to double overtime. Iverson had thirty eight points on fifty six true shooting, five rebounds, seven assists, uh, three steals. He did have six turnovers, but that gave him a game score of just under thirty. So. Uh, yeah, this is a um, 
this Pistons team that that whole uh, that whole Iverson for Billups trade was uh, was kind of confounding uh, yes. at the time and, <laughs> as, and you know, especially now. Yeah, I mean they still had Hamilton. They still had uh, Tayshaun. It was everybody. Prince. I mean, most of they the people still, were there. I mean, yeah. other than yeah, obviously missing Ben Wallace. There, and, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, the bench is no longer particularly good, but they still have McDice. But um, you know, obviously, those guys are all kind of getting up there for the most part. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of made a little bit of sense to you know, you're trying to retool, and uh, you know he's expiring, and you know he you give him for a year, you make a playoff run, you sell some tickets, and then you you kind of revamp the team. But yeah, they ended up keeping Hamilton, like sending him to a big extension, and then the you know getting Ben Corden and Charlie Villanueva. Um, it didn't work out very well either, unfortunately. No. Joe Dumars was very good at scoring in the 1989 finals. He was not very good at uh, <laughs> signing and acquiring players uh, no. in 2008 or any time yeah, after that for a long pretty time. Pretty much after after, <laughs> after <laughs> 06 or so, yeah, he lost that ability for whatever right. reason. Right, and, so. and what made it so confounding, too, is that Billups went to the Nuggets and like immediately the Nuggets became like pretty good, damn good. You know what I mean? Like Immediately it was like, aha, I like Chauncey Billups. And, and he was still good at this time. Like That's the thing is it wasn't like he had fallen. Because he had fallen off a cliff there in a few years, but he was still pretty yeah. solid and definitely a good piece so it was definitely I, I guess it was just kind of let's get a change of pace here in Detroit but I don't know that you know 2008 Allen Iverson was quite the change of pace that you needed but hey he had really good game here I like the efficient scoring too 13 to 24 I mean that is definitely a uh, a unique Iverson trade it feels like an Iverson game as well 11 for 11 from the free throw line that's where he obviously did uh, quite a lot of his work seven assists too so I mean it's an all-around really good game uh for Allen Iverson there but yeah this uh this corpse of the former glory of the Detroit Pistons is just odd yeah this is a it just sucks to see that team you know what it what it became and how quickly it fall and then how it's still kind of falling and doesn't seem to ever uh go back up but uh yeah and, and a fun jazz team too I really enjoyed this jazz team at this time yeah. like very similar to kind of what the jazz always are you, you know this kind of scrappy bunch of uh of guys but you have Paul Millsap always underrated but great player at this point Mehmet Okor who was still you know real solid player uh Darren Williams as he was you know before he became really really bad really really quickly you know Andre Karolinko doing everything you know Kyle Korver on that team as well, but yeah, I really uh, enjoyed that team at that point, and, and and really was yeah, it was it was a really fun Jazz team, and 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 they're I think the Jazz are one of the teams that are most often fun, you know, in the league. Like there's not really, I mean, if you go through history, it's hard to find like truly dreary Jazz teams. Like there are quite a few, there, there are a few here and there, but for the most part, over the last you know 30, 40 years, they've been like okay, you know, <laughs> like they've been fun. There's been talent on that yeah. team, like you know they they go through some doldrums and then they get you know Darren Williams, like oh okay that's cool, and then you know they go through some sure. doldrums and then they get you know donovan mitchell it's like they're, they're pretty good at uh not having prolonged periods of just like yeah <laughs> right like yeah, the pistons was, <laughs> like our friends the pistons yeah <laughs> our friends the pistons yeah it's still still rebuilding pretty much after this uh this trade yeah um you're right i mean the jazz have uh yeah pretty much been competitive and, and usually good for basically since the mid 80s uh you know they, they had a couple years rebuilding after um Stockton Miller, but it didn't take that long. You know, they have, they got Darren Williams, they got uh, Carlos Boozer, they, you know, they had Karolinko, obviously, you know, the kind of their, their core guys for those really good teams for a while. And yeah, I'd completely forgotten that Millsap and Corver played together with the uh, Jazz. When yeah. I think of them as Hawks, you know. Oh, yeah, um, of course. Yeah, yeah. Sissy win team. Yeah. But yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, this, I think Millsap was kind of emerging at this point, and he had a really good game here in 15 minutes, 24 points, and uh, 13 uh, rebounds. But probably not his last great game, though. So No, no. I think uh, outside of Bonds' conversation. Yeah, probably a few more. <laughs> but yes. Um, Next, we have uh, Moses Malone, and uh, the last uh, great uh, game of his uh, career. It was uh, four days after his 37th birthday. It was uh, a uh, Sonics 96, uh, the uh, Bucks uh, 95. It was uh, March 27th, 1992. 
and uh, he had 30 points on 64 true shooting, 19 rebounds, including 12 offensive rebounds, and uh, a 31.5 game score. So, uh, so not, uh, you know, not he only shot 46 percent from the field so the, the true shooting was better because he was 16 to 19 from the free throw line but uh was able to and i'm sure a lot of those missed shots were probably just you know to get offensive rebounds for himself like he used to enjoy doing so perhaps uh perhaps bringing that classic uh trope back oh absolutely and and this is uh this is an important game as well for the bucks because th- this win or, or they, they lose by one or whatever at this point they're 30 and 40 in the season so real close to getting that win they're really close to getting to you know 31 40 uh, they finished the season 31 and 51. So this one would have been nice if they had gotten <laughs> yeah. this. Unfortunately, Del Harris, uh, Bucks, things aren't going very well for them. And, and it probably is bad yeah. when Moses Malone is like the guy that has to, you know, kind of carry the load here. But yeah, he does a good job. And the 19 yeah. rebounds, yeah, there probably is a few that, you know, Moses got on his own. But hell, goddamn it, it says 19 rebounds in the box score. So we're counting it as 19 hey. rebounds. But, well, we'll you, know, for, yeah. you know, not, not a bad game. But it's like, who else, you know? Frank Burkowski's not going to go out there and get you 30, so you need someone He's to not. score for you. So that's uh, I do love the Moses Malone Bucks era, even though it's, it is kind of sad in one respect. But uh, yeah, and the best part about it, too, is it's like he's not even really, you know, th- this would be kind of his last good year, I would say. Then he's kind of falls off a cliff, but you know he still hangs around the league for you know three more years, but you know misses a lot of time because of injuries and whatnot. But yeah, it's a nice, nice way to cap off what was probably his last great year and his last great game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the this Bucks team uh, just yeah Moses Malone playing with, with uh, Jay Humphreys, Fred Roberts, Alvin <laughs> Robertson, uh, Frank Rogowski, Dale Ellis is there off the bench. So, yeah, not uh, not a murderer's row there of, uh, of of Bucks players. These are guys. You know, this is early '90s, but those all feel like '80s players you know, pretty much. Like it's just a it's a random assortment Which of guys is who why they won thirty one and fifty. Right? Who, who feel whatever, like yeah. past their prime? Yeah. So, yeah, other than Dale Ellis, everybody else feels like, and Frank Bukowski, who apparently played for like another ten years for some godforsaken yes. reason. But uh, yeah, it uh, it definitely yeah. does not feel like a team. It feels like a team of the eighties. Yeah, and that's not good in nineteen ninety two. So no. Uh, yeah, funny thing about this game: uh, Gary Payton only has two points, and John Kemp only has six points. Yeah, right. Uh, and they were they yeah. were they had been you know they had been emerging. This isn't like they're just kind of young whippersnappers at this point too. I mean, both those guys were pretty solid at that point. And Seattle was was a great team at this point. Yeah. So to see them just do nothing in this game is is definitely pretty uh, pretty interesting. Right, Eddie Johnson picking up the slack. Ricky Pierce, you know, uh, sixteen points. So, good times. Um, the Ricky Pierce so, revenge game. <laughs> oh right, yes, absolutely. Right. Yes, yeah. yeah well, uh, yeah. Gary Payton's a future buck, so yeah, it's, right. uh, he knew. He knew. That. Yeah, he, he was already depressed about the fact that when his career yeah. was in its twilight, he was going to get cha- you know traded to the Bucks. He was already already depressed. He already knew. He he stepped into the Bradley Center and already he was worried. You know, something happened. He was like, oh, I don't know. Bad mojo sure. here. And then, yeah. I don't know. Maybe these guys still had. Uh, maybe there's still uh, lingering memories of the uh, that five over- overtime game those uh, teams played. I oh think right, it was yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, <laughs> so. Uh, anyway, um, moving on, we are going to talk about George Mikan, and um, so stats are even more sparse, of course, during uh, George Mikan's era than in uh, in in the 80s and 90s when sometimes you have gaps. But here we don't really have rebound totals for the majority of this game or even like uh, we we have we have number of field goals. We don't have field goal attempts. Um, So we don't know what percentage these guys shot in these games. Um, At least basketball reference doesn't. There are some other sources that you can occasionally get them from, even though basketball reference does its best to be comprehensive. And obviously it's awesome. Um, so that obviously makes it a little difficult to research here, but um, we decide kind of delved back and uh, found uh, I, I think what what is a a fairly good option, and it was uh, 
two back-to-back games that he had in 1953. So this would have been, and uh, this was January 14th of 53, January 17th of 53. So this is toward the end of 53 season, and then he retires at the end of the 54 season, and then he actually comes back in um, a year and a half later and plays about a half a season there. But basically a year and a half before he you know retired for the first time. Um and he had back-to-back 40-point games. He had 46 points in a two-overtime Lakers win over the Bullets on the 14th of 53. Uh, he was 14 of 15 out of, from the free throw line in that game. And then he had 41 points in a 109 101 loss uh, in Rochester to the Royals um, three days later. And he was 11 of 12 from the free throw line in uh, those games. So, uh, and obviously, like he had, uh, you've been one of the great scorers in um, in NBA history up into that point. I mean, he had uh, he had broken the record for most points in a game with sixty one uh, just about a year before this point. So, but these were his last uh, two forty point games. He never had another one in um, in the NBA. He had some he had a handful of thirty point games, but he was kind of uh, he was getting older. He was uh, even though he was twenty eight and twenty nine, which doesn't seem super old at that time. It was pretty old for an athlete, and obviously the conditioning and all that wasn't uh, there. And, and the Lakers were near sort of the end of their you know great dynastic run of the uh, end of the forties and early fifties. Yeah, and this is you know there there are a bunch of other games in Mikan's you know next few years, and obviously he only plays until you know nineteen fifty six, which um, like as you said for for a multitude of reasons, and there are other games where you know he's still pretty consistently good through through most of fifty four and, and and you know fifty six he he has some decent years as well uh, or, or decent games I should say here and there, but yeah it's hard to find games like this like truly dominant Mikan uh, later in his career, so I think these two definitely work and and I think they work in conjunction too because they show just how he was able to just dominate the game at this point and and, and put together back to back forty points so yeah i think those are both big uh uh good good picks for for the you know last great games or what whatever for for george mikan so i think uh i do like those uh, a lot even though there maybe are some games where he's still solid but not as dominant as we saw for george mikan in his early years whereas these really feel like you know classic mikan uh, stat lines yeah yeah and he did have he had a couple of 30 point games in the 54 finals yeah, you know, helped yeah. helped lead them so yeah there obviously there are other good performances going on there but but these obviously stood out as you're looking it, w- given the information that we have those those kind of stood out as you know um as big games at that point of uh, his uh, career so um Next, we have Akeem Olajuwon, uh, and his uh, last great game was actually his final game as a Rocket. Oh, thank um, God. I was hoping we were going to have the Toronto Raptors <laughs> Akeem Olajuwon. Thank God. Oh, boy. All right. Good. Uh, all right. You're getting the Raptors fans mad at you, uh, Rick. <laughs> yeah. so that, uh, no, I like no. I, you know, I like the Raptors. I just don't like Akeem on the Raptors. Just, yeah. You know, he has got too much he too much gear on. He was just wearing, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, like, there was just a knee brace and an ankles and all right. It's just like, I just. Yeah. Uh, Purple I was loved not his playing best color. I yeah. loved playing. Yeah, he didn't look good in purple either. I did enjoy playing as him a lot in like NBA 2K1 though. I dominated with Akeem because it was still like oh, they yeah. hadn't like really kind of re- reduced his stats all that much. You had Vince Carter who could just dunk from anywhere, and then Akeem who was still awesome. Sure. So I mean, yeah. I did some work on the Dreamcast uh, Sega Net with old uh, Hakeem and, and Vince Carter on the I, Raptors. I'm but, sure you know. he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is from March or excuse me. Uh, this is from April 17, 2001. Uh, and he had 24 points on 77 true shooting percentage, uh, nine rebounds, six assists, and two steals. He was 38 years and 86 days. And interesting thing about the Rockets, they did not make the playoffs this year despite uh, finishing 45 and 37. Actually, uh, the team they played, the um, 
the Timberwolves uh, beat them out by uh, two games that year. So uh, it's a pretty good record to not make to not make the playoffs uh, for. And um, it was definitely known going in that he could leave early on in the uh, season. He had said that he uh, planned to uh, retire, but then he later said he would uh, be coming back to the NBA and would not necessarily go back to Houston. I guess he was no longer in Houston's plans. Obviously, he would leave. So there was the, the the crowd reaction was obviously very celebratory on you know wanting to have him you know. Uh, cheering uh, on his every move even more than they normally would and uh as time went down in the fourth quarter you know the cheers uh went out and the chance went to we want dream we want dream and then he came back and and when he left the game uh toward the end you know fans obviously chanted his name and um and you know, he talked about there's an only time story about uh about his final game and just you know, he was very honored by the crowd reaction very happy about mm-hmm. it and uh you know good memory for him and yeah a, a an excellent performance for uh uh you know to the the, the last great performance of his career yeah no I, I think it was a great pick as well for him because i mean you, you look at his toronto stats as well and there are you know a few games here and there but for the most part he's kind of not great in toronto i don't know if he just either wasn't motivated or he wasn't really asked to be the man in toronto either so that was kind of the thing as well but yeah you look and you know he's got you know you know, gets 15 points here and there, 10 points here and there. There are no great games. This is Hakeem's. I, I think there was almost no other choice than this one as his last great game. And I think it, it is fitting that it is his last game in Houston as well. So there's the added weight of of it being it for him. And, and, and this, uh, you know, amazing run. He brings two titles to them, you know, gets into the finals pretty early on in his career. So cool that this was kind of the final game. And I'm glad that he could go out. not Because, you know, he had some real duds in, in that season as well. I mean, it was obvious that, that age was catching up to Hakeem and it was just about to be over for him. So I'm glad that that final game was a really good game. Like, you know what I mean? They, they you know, nine, 9 of 12 from the field, so it's not like he just put up a bunch of shots and just tried to score, you know, decent on the rebounds, two nine rebounds, and then the 24 points. So it's good to see him have a truly good game. It's not like just, you know, uh, one that we're sort of grading on a curve because it was his last one in Houston. It's a very good game for, a, a, you know, a 38-year-old Hakeem Olajuwon at this time. So I think a very, very good pick for this one. Yeah. Yeah, that racket team is interesting with, uh, you know, right, right at the beginning of Francis and uh, Katina Mobley and... Uh, Muchi Norris is there. Kelvin Cato is there. You know, kind of all the uh, all the early Yao Ming Rockets are there. You know, as they're about to do the uh, handoff, they'll, they'll get Yao. I, I, there was a year without him, and then Yao comes the next year, I believe, right? So Yes, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, interesting. They had a lot of those built-up blocks already. I, I hadn't quite realized that. Yeah, and I think it should also be noted too that the uh, the Timberwolves probably didn't play their A game here either. Um, if you look at the, the you know the box score here, uh, Garnett plays twenty nine minutes. Uh, he does pretty well. He scores, you know, or actually no, he doesn't do well at all. He scores eleven points. I was looking at Wally Zerbiak. Uh, Wally Zerbiak has sixteen points. Uh, Terrell Bannon plays twenty minutes. Reggie Slater plays fifteen minutes, but doesn't score, <laughs> doesn't shoot any. Felipe Lopez plays fourteen minutes, and then their bench gets a lot of minutes as well. You know, William Avery gets twenty two minutes. Lafonso Ellis twenty one. Chauncey Billups, as you said, they were going to the playoffs already, so they were kind of resting guys a little bit and letting you know the t- the the record have their moments so that might play a little part in it but hey the team still had to deliver and still had to do pretty well but yeah it wasn't like he was you know and and, and houston won pretty easily as well 114.87 as you said so uh minnesota probably didn't bring their 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 a plus game here but that's all right it doesn't take anything away from the accomplishment so yeah yeah you still have to score for dean garrett and that's not easy so you know no I mean? it's like, not easy you, <laughs> sam mitchell you, you, it's still scoring yeah. 48 year old sam mitchell so that's not too right you know? <laughs> yeah you try that you know <laughs> um so next we have uh, Bob Pettit, and um, 
We've, his final great game was from November 17th, 1964. This is during his final season, so the beginning of it. Uh, the Hawks won 114-107 against the 76ers. This is the just a few months before the 76ers get Will Chamberlain and, of course, you know, become a uh, you know, championship contender uh, going on in there. Uh, Pettit was uh, th- uh, 31 years, 30, th- 341 days old. Uh, and this game... Um, 37 points, 22 rebounds, uh, 13 to 16 from the free throw line, two assists. So, um, yeah, I think 37 points, 22 rebounds, even during this era when there were a lot more rebounds, it definitely uh, stands out. And, you know, he had a handful of, uh, you know, 2015 games after this point. I mean, he has, he has uh, I think, nine or ten of them uh, after this point. So he's still... You know, he was really good for most of his uh, final season. He kind of broke down a little bit in the uh, in the playoffs and an upset loss to the uh, Bullets. But um, but yeah, I mean, he was you know he was still an excellent player you know up until uh, this point and you know, had a lot of productive games. Right. Yeah, that's kind of been a, ru- a running theme on this show is kind of the appreciate Bob Pettit a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is still you know his, his final season, thirty two year. I mean, he made the All Star game every single game of his entire every single year of his entire career. Yeah, his final season, nineteen sixty five, the one we're talking about here, you know, still averages twenty two point five points per game, twelve point four rebounds per game. Uh, still a, a productive player. Obviously, there there were issues and the injuries were starting to build up a little bit and and whatnot. But yeah, just a, kind of remarkable how. Uh, how he was still so solid even through those, those final years and in, still, yeah, and even in this final season, uh, it's hard to pick just one great game for him because it was like, you know, his last great games, you can go pretty far into his career and find him, but I think this is a great one as well uh, just because it, it, it feels very much Pettit, like, you know, 37 points, 22 rebounds, uh, super efficient from, you know, the field, uh, good free throw percentages as well, so it definitely, um, you know, pretty pretty good there for Bob Pettit, but yeah, as you said, it's, it's remarkable how, he, how long he was able to keep up, you know, the 2015 games and how, you know, he was pretty solid until those final few games and 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 how you know you wonder if he had a few more years in him but uh i kind of enjoy that he just went out on top you know what i mean like when i was just a it's like a pretty perfect career when you look at like a basketball reference page like it's just it's uniform it's square because it's like he's got double digits and everything forever and then he just retires and it's like you know i like this one it's it, i bet it's one of my favorite basketball references you know pages to go to because he's he's an all-star every single year it's mostly with st louis there's the one year where he's you know uh you know in milwaukee but everything else is just solid it's just all double digits it's all 20s it's all 10s for the rebounds just perfect i love bob pettit's basketball reference page it makes me uh it's aesthetically pleasing to the eye so there you go yeah and he uh he actually was all nba every year the only year that he was not first team all nba was the final year so and he he played 50 games that year that was the only year that Mm -hmm. he didn't basically he played every year he played almost every game that it was in the you know he played Back when there were 72 games, he played that most years, and when it moved up to closer to 80, he played, you know, 78, 79, 80 games. So he was a Iron Man for the most part outside of that last year. Yeah, my better rules. We're appreciating yeah, more. Yeah, <laughs> it was very good. Yes. Uh, so uh, so next we have Dennis Rodman, and another guy who's a little bit tough to pick here because, you know, I, I think for more than just about anybody that we're t- going to talk about here, the box score doesn't really fully measure his impact. I mean, no. it, it doesn't really fully measure anyone's, but particularly somebody like like Rodman, who's you know there for, um, who's there for his defense, and and yeah, obviously he got got a lot of rebounds. He kind of grew obsessed with that later on in his career, so that's always going to be there. But um, anyway, so the game that we that we did pick was from um, January tenth, nineteen ninety seven. It's a one sixteen one hundred one Bulls win over the Bucks. He had 16 points on 73 true shooting, 26 rebounds, two steals, a 23.8 game score. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, and again, he had a lot of 
big rebounding games, even in 98 when he, you know, was starting to kind of struggle a lot. But, um, you know, this one, you know, at least also had a bit of the efficient scoring. And, and that was kind of the thing that sort of slid for him as he, um, you know, in that last year when he would, you know, barely take shots or he would, you know, he would miss the ones that he would take. So. So yeah, it's, this one. He go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. I was gonna say it's it's hard to find Rodman games where he, he has that scoring because I think people forget too that when Rodman was with the, the Pistons and a little bit even with the uh, the, the Spurs, he was a an okay scorer. He was never a great scorer, but there were times where he was a, a solid scorer. And then it became and I get it when you're with you know Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Ron Harper and those sort of guys. Probably not a good idea for Dennis Rodman to take a bunch of shots. But like, yeah, it becomes rare to see him even score ten points. Like you you wonder, okay, what the hell happened? How did this even occur? So to have him score sixteen and do it on pretty efficiently while also doing 26 rebounds. I mean, this definitely stands out. And you look at those final few years that he had w- with Chicago. And then, of course, unfortunately, you, you also probably should look at the, the Lakers and the, the Dallas Mavericks years. But actually, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that. That's not recommended. No. Don't don't no. do that. Uh, just look at the Bulls years. Uh, you'll see that, yeah, he just the scoring falls off a cliff. I mean, you are lucky to get double digits. You are lucky to get him with even two points, three points. You know, four, I mean, you, it just does not happen anymore because he's just getting rebounds. He's just kind of staying out of the way. So to have him get 16 and also get the rebounds as well. So it's not like it was a game where he was just going out of his way to to make sure he scored and didn't get the rebounds. And and, and we know his motivations at the time were really uh, the rebounds and stuff. But yeah, Rodman is a tough guy. There probably is a game where Rodman was awesome on defense and completely controlled the defense and completely controlled the game and and shut someone down. But it's hard to find in you know just normal box scores. So we're doing this. So there probably is another game that Rodman was in that was greater. But this one I think definitely stands out in terms of the box score stats because you have those points combined with the rebounds combined with the game score. So I really do uh, think this is a good pick. Uh, as well, and yeah, the Bulls are obviously a, a very fun team at this time. They're thirty and uh, seven, or thirty and uh, thirty and four, I should say. And the uh, the Bucks are seventeen and seventeen. So yeah, just uh, yeah. Bulls just cruising, of course, as they would do through most of those years. So that's uh, right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, even without like you know, the, the, my favorite thing about those Bulls teams, and I don't have to tell you, it's not breaking news here, but like it's just amazing how. I don't know that the talent was really, you know, and like, and that's obvious that, like, you know, Michael Jordan, who obviously it helps to have Michael Jordan, it helps to have Scottie Pippen, uh, Ron Harper, a solid piece, Dennis Robin, a solid piece, Tony Kukoc, still pretty good, but then the rest of the guys are pretty crappy, you know, Jason Caffey with 12 points of his own and whatnot, and Judd Bushlers, and Randy Browns, and Bill Weddington is starting, but doesn't ever touch the ball and stuff, but it's just remarkable how dominant that team was, despite, you know, really having not much depth, but I guess when you have Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman, you know, you don't really need much. Yeah. And, and the guys who were like not as good, like they were like guys who like didn't mess up a lot. Like right. they were like guys Steve Kerr who did the ex- exact thing that you needed Steve Kerr to do every single time. Like he was Right. Like yeah. even Judd Bushler like did like made the right play most of the time. Like you know, like he wasn't they particularly like, an effective player, but like at least he wouldn't like screw up, you know. And, right. Yeah, something yeah. to be kind of be said for that, you know. Um which I think was helpful in their success right and everybody knew kind of the role and didn't care that that was the role because they were just riding the gravy train so they're like dude i'll come in for three minutes and do whatever you need like like a judd bushler who's like hey i'm not gonna upset the apple card or even a ron harper type who we always we've talked about ron harper on the show before i mean this is a guy who was a, a real good score the number one option on a, a bad clippers team but a score that could do it you know really do it all and still have some solid stuff and you know, obviously had some injuries and whatnot but at this point he's totally fine just being a guy who gets a few shots a game and and just being out there for defense and and and, and you know kind of being a veteran uh, you know, presence or whatnot. But yeah, it's like a lot of guys just swallowed their pride and said, hey, look, I'm not going to upset this. I want the rings and I want this whole ride or whatever. So it, it, it's definitely remarkable, too. And it's a credit to Phil Jackson and, and everybody there, too, to, to have all these guys who, in some of these cases, even a Bill Weddington site before he came to the Bulls was was a pretty solid player overall. But everybody just kind of accepted the roles to an exact you know measure, as you said. So it definitely is, is worth noting. Yeah. So um, 
Next, we have uh, Isaiah Thomas, and his last great game was from April 9th, 1993. The uh, Pistons beating the Celtics 105 to uh, 90. Isaiah Thomas had 43 points on 55 true shooting, eight rebounds, 10 assists, five steals, also five turnovers, but given everything else, that, that's, uh, that's not so bad. He was uh, 31 years and 344 days uh, here, and the Pistons were in an extremely tight battle for the eighth seed. Unfortunately for them, they Ended up uh, finishing 10th just behind the Pacers and Magic at this time. They were 36 and 37 after this win against the Celtics. And um, yeah, obviously the you know the box score is impressive, but what kind of is interesting is that the the Pistons and Celtics are still enough like their old selves, like their late 80s, you know, all these classic battles in the Eastern Conference selves, that it sort of like is a, um, even though it's years later, it's still like reminiscent of that, even though obviously, you know, Bird is gone. Um, and both teams, you know, the the Pistons, as as I said, are won't make the playoffs and are struggling there. The Celtics are a bit better. They're forty two and thirty two. You know, they have uh, Reggie Lewis, you know, starring there. They still have, uh, you know, Parrish and uh, Mikhail uh, contributing, and uh, and Xavier McDaniel as well. So uh, they they were able to to recast themselves a little bit better than the uh, than the Pistons were able to. But I I just uh, you know it makes me uh, you know I, I bet the intensity still here was very high, even if the uh, you know the, both teams were were past their peaks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're you're getting Isaiah against the Celtics. You're still getting Celtics against Isaiah, and there's still you know obviously a few guys. You know, Robert Parrish hanging around as you said. Kevin McHale still you know really kind of the corpse of Kevin McHale at this point, but you know still right. still the physical embodiment of Kevin McHale. You know, in this game, so sure. I'm sure. Yeah, and and Bill Ambeer's there too. So you know, elbows were a plenty yeah. and stuff. So it's even yeah. if, even if it didn't matter, even if the Pistons were just kind of on the edge of of, of yeah. contention at this point, uh, still remarkable. And yeah, really great game for Isaiah too, who uh, you know at this point was not prone to these huge explosions, but yeah, to go to 43 points, 10 assists. Uh, 17 to 35. I mean, he just took this game over. I mean, this was him, and and there probably is something to be said for the fact that he took this over, you know, against you know the Celtics. I think there might be you know a, a little bit of motivation there uh, to to get a little bit you know get a little bit extra out of Isaiah when it's against the Celtics, even though it is kind of in the waning years of of his career and in the waning years of of this rivalry. Yeah, and this was almost exactly a year before the end of his career. Yeah, and he had he had some good games in his in his final season. I mean, there there were some choices that you could have made there, some some good scoring bitches and stuff. But yeah, I mean, this was definitely you know I I think more outstanding than any of those. And uh, you know, given the context, I think was uh, was a bit important. Yeah, it's well. it's a true takeover game too, which is good when you get Isaiah because that's that's I think what I'll always remember Isaiah Thomas for is those certain games. You know, whether it be in the finals or the playoffs, where he would just take over, and it was like you know yeah. Isaiah Isaiah could be a bit player and and work within the system of the Pistons and. Why not? And then there was also games where Isaiah was just like, "Nope, it's me. I'm dominating here." And it was awesome to see when he did that because he was so it was so remarkable given his size uh, to see him do that. And this is definitely, you know, he had games again, like you said, that were, were solid. He had good scoring numbers or whatnot. But to have like an Isaiah Thomas, no, this is my game, and I'm going to win this game for us type uh, situation. You didn't see those all that that often uh, in his final few years. But this this game, you absolutely see that here. I mean, that, it's just remarkable uh, the output and the, and the scoring uh, burst that he does. Yeah, yeah. So last one is uh, Wes Unseld, um, and uh, we are, for whatever reason, in his box scores, we are missing uh, most of the rebounding totals, and obviously <laughs> one of the things that he was extremely good at was rebounding, so uh, that makes it harder than you might expect, given that you know he retired in 81, but um, nevertheless, there is uh, still a fairly good option here. It was uh, It is from uh, January 28th of 1981. Uh, the uh, the bullets beat the Suns 108 to 98, and the Suns at that point were 41 and 50. Four, excuse me, gosh, 
the Suns at that point were 41 and 15. So they were they were very very good uh, that year during the regular season. They would get upset during the playoffs, but um, Unseld at this point was uh, 34 years, 320 days. Um, he would uh, retire, and Elvin Hayes would go back to Houston. So this is basically uh, very close to the end for this era of the uh, of the Bullets that you know won a championship and made three finals in about five years. Uh, during the game, 14 points on seven of nine shooting, uh, 15 rebounds, two assists, two blocks, uh, three only three turnovers. So a uh, a classic performance from here. Until another guy who you know did more than the uh, box score would entitle. So it makes it a little bit tougher to for to him to pick a game for him but given the context of what was going on they were a team trying to make a playoff run as well they would uh i, I believe they would just uh, fall short of that uh, goal you know just a couple years after their championship team but they'd you know lost some of their depth and you know their key guys had gotten older so that uh kind of kept them from you know remaining relevant there but and they've uh, unfortunately not really been able to replicate that success and you know almost uh, 40 <laughs> years later yeah that's uh sorry washington fans it's yeah it's been a, a, a tough ride for them but uh yeah, definitely a remarkable game. Yeah, it stinks that like so many of his rebound totals are missing out of these because yeah, it's like something that he was so great at. I don't know. It's like the Washington Bullets, you know, score just lazy. Like ah, who cares about the rebounds? I mean, nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody's gonna look at that. Who cares? But uh, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it is interesting here. But uh, definitely yeah, what it probably his his it, without a doubt, I think his his best final game. I mean, there were a few games here and there, but uh, this one definitely stands out because and and you look at the fourteen points ago. Like, oh, that's not too much. But you know, West that wasn't really his game at any point. I mean, there was a few years. Obviously, we're, we're you know first few years in his in his career when he was Baltimore uh, Baltimore Bullets where you saw a little bit more scoring out of West but you know for the last real 10 years of his career it wasn't the scoring that really stood out about West Unsell it was like you said the defense and, and the rebounding so it's hard to quantify you know a great game for, for a West Unsell just using box score stats but this one definitely works because you get the 14 points you get the classic 15 rebounds on a few other things as well but uh, yeah it just is yeah. is, is pretty uh, remarkable that uh, yeah he, he, he was able to kind of he was okay until those final few years and then he just kind of fell off you know it just seemed like it happened pretty quick even it happened quick in within that season too if you look at, at his box score numbers uh for his final few years like he's here and there but then it just kind of falls off real fast uh for for west but yeah by this time sure. he's still pretty solid yeah and i'm sure in this game there there was you know one or two outlet passes that you know would have stood out as well ha- have if we had the footage i'm sure we would see that as well because right uh, so yeah, yeah of course yeah if we yes. had the, the advanced yeah. stats and all that sort of stuff but uh sure he's got a pretty yeah. fun career as well west on he's a guy who uh um, oh yeah I, I think it's you know a, a, pretty, a fair amount of his due, but maybe could use a little bit more of it just because yeah, uh, wasn't that dynamic of a score in, in and and we were guilty of that too of kind of looking at, at scoring a lot and, and sort of driving all of our conversations not all the conversations but using that as like kind of a, oh well this guy he has scoring and rebounding and not thinking as much about a defense or a rebounding but it's harder when you know you're kind of out of the context of we're talking about this in 2018 you know we can tell you that Wes Unsell was good at defense and good at outlet passes and stuff but it's hard to quantify it so I think he might be a guy that loses a little bit because when you do a play index search he doesn't pop up all the time he doesn't come up as as one of those and the counting stats aren't great for Wes but obviously contributed in, in a number of different ways and and contributed to the, the bullet success for for quite a while as well and success that they, as you said, have barely been able to replicate since 1981, which is not ideal. So, yeah, yeah. there you go. All right, Rich. Well, uh, that's it for this uh, episode. We'll uh, be delving into some other names uh, coming up over the uh, next few weeks. We have some other uh, upcoming fun episodes uh, coming up as well. So, uh, hopefully, everyone continues to uh, uh, check us out. You can find us at the Step Back at Fansided.com. Uh, we also are on uh, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, pretty much any podcast platform you could ask for. If you want to uh, leave us a rating and review, greatly appreciate it. We've gotten a few uh, new uh, iTunes uh, reviews recently, so appreciate the uh, people who uh, 
who answered our call and uh, submitted some reviews. So we'd love it if you uh, kept them coming. And uh, also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Over and Back NBA. So uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.